This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. I want to give you a brief introduction this morning uh, to tell you why I selected the verses I selected uh, for this sermon. So last week we studied the historic Passover uh, event um, in chapter 12 of Exodus. And as we studied that chapter, you may have noticed that I actually skipped over uh, several chunks of chapter 12 uh, in that sermon, okay? When Moses wrote Exodus 12 and 13, he didn't just tell the story uh, of the Passover and then move on. But as he wrote um, about the greatest redemptive act of God in the Old Testament, as he wrote that, he also gave instructions to the people of God as to how uh, they should commemorate um, and remember that event in the future. Uh, To be more precise, uh, God, as he was delivering, as he was delivering the Israelites from slavery and sin and death, in real time, he was instructing them on how they should commemorate that event in the future. So last week, what I did is I took the verses that related to the event and preached on that. And this week, I, I want to take God's instructions to his people about the future, and I want to preach and, and teach on that. The instructions in chapter 12 and 13 are, of Exodus are very redundant, very repetitive, a lot of recapitulation. So for the sake of time, I tried to leave enough of that repetition in there for you to get a flavor of it, but not so much of it uh, that you fall asleep while I'm reading uh, the, the sermon text. So With all that said, I just want you to understand why we're jumping around in 12 and 13 and understand uh, why I tried to to leave some of the repetition in there without having too much. So please stand, and uh, I will read uh, the scripture this morning, okay? Before I read, let's pray together this corporate prayer of illumination, praying aloud. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, teach us your ways and lead us in your truth. For you are the God of our salvation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, it's going to take about three minutes. If you're not able to stand that long, I very much understand. Uh, Feel free to sit. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. Jump to verse 6. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Jump to verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But whatever anyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at, in, at the evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a sojourner or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Jump to verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. 
And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised you, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Jump down to verse 41. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beasts, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Jump to verse 8. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This morning, I want to build a theology of remembering a theology of remembering, even though we rarely think about it and maybe we've never even considered it. The Bible consistently teaches that if we do not intentionally plan in our future to remember the past, we cannot flourish in the Christian life. So I want to talk about this theology of remembering, and I want to, I want to answer three questions. The first question is by far going to take the longest. We're going to answer the questions, why, how, and who? Why does God command his people to remember. Uh, how do we, at this point in God's story, how do we remember? And then lastly, who? Very quickly, who do we remember? So first, why? Why does God command his people to remember? Why does God, while doing something as seismic as the Passover, give to the people experiencing it commands that will help them facilitate remembrance in the future? So think about it. The Israelites are experiencing the greatest act of redemption and deliverance in the Old Testament. And at the same time, as God is doing it, he is prescribing at least five future ordinances and rites and services and statutes. And he's putting them in place for the sole purpose of facilitating the remembrance of the event that they are experiencing in that moment. At least five. Chapter 12, verse 2. Regardless of what you've done for 430 years, this is the first year you exist as a nation. And God says, I want Abib to be the first month of your year. If you were to go back in time and ask an Israelite, even now if you were to go to Israel and ask a Jew, why is Abib 1 your new year? Somewhere around our late March, early April. They're going to answer, listen, we orient our year around the first and foundational event of our nation's history God delivered us from slavery. That's why we start in this month. God, God said, establish your calendar in a way that's going to remind you of what I have done in the past. Second, chapter 12, verse 17, God commands a week-long feast of unleavened bread. 
All right? So not only are the Israelites not to eat uh, yeast for seven days, uh, on the first day, the 14th, they are to remove leaven out of their houses, chapter 12, verse 14. They are to remove leaven out of their territory, uh, chapter 13, verse 7. This week-long festival further is to be begun by a holy assembly, and it's to be ended with a holy assembly, and no work is to be done on these days. The only work that can be done is the preparation of food. And you say, why? Why at the crack of dawn on the 14th? Why do we take leaven out of our house and out of our territory. Chapter 3, verse 9, you shall tell your son on that day. You see how these ordinances facilitate remembering? It's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. It's to be as a sign on your hand and a memorial between your eyes. In other words, I take out of my house yeast in, in order to remember that God took me out of Egypt. Chapter 12, verse 15. Chapter 12, Verse 17, the removal of yeast, this ceasing from work, these holy assemblies, uh, this peculiar diet, they're a sign. It's a physical, tangible, visible practice that we do that's going to force us to think about and talk about and keep us soft towards what God has done in the past. Third, Chapter 12, verse 24, God commanded that on the 14th of that first month and every month in the future, the Israelites were to reenact the Passover night. In other words, every year, select and kill a spotless lamb. Catch its blood in a basin. Paint the doorframe of your house with the blood. Roast the lamb whole. Eat it inside. And when your children, chapter 12, verse 26, say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say to them, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. Before God actually passed over their houses to protect them, verse 29, he commanded that the following year and each year thereafter that they were going to reenact the night. They were going to sacrifice again the spotless lamb. They were going to remind themselves that, that they too should have died that night, but God was gracious and kind and merciful to them. And he accepted a substitutionary death in the place of their firstborn. Fourth, on the night of the 14th, while your cloak is tucked in and your sandals are on and your staff is in your hands, stay awake all night. Chapter 12, verse 42. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So, therefore, this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. You can imagine that groggy eight-year-old fighting off sleep, asking again, now why are we trying to stay awake all night after eating all that lamb? And the parent says, because God watched over us that night that we left Egypt. And so in order to remember that, in order to show our gratitude for that, we stay awake all night on the 14th of the first month of the first year. Chapter 13, verse 2, fifth command, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, it's mine. If the beast is a donkey, you can redeem that donkey by sacrificing a lamb in its place, or you can break the donkey's neck. You choose. If it's a firstborn son, you have to redeem it. In other words, you have to go and pay the redemption price uh, to purchase him back from the Lord. The Lord has taken him. And again, God gives the dad another chance to remember and explain to his son that just like in Egypt, uh, that, that, that the son can be bought back by a price, that God graciously allows substitute payment to be made. Again, pointing forward to God's own firstborn son who would die ultimately in the place of the firstborn. So God commanded at least these five different ordinances to be kept and observed in the future, and they are there for the sole purpose of remembering the Passover. But our question, our first question is why? 
If we're going to create a theology of remembering, we have to ask, really answer the question, why did God command these ordinances that forced this remembering? Was it really necessary? All right, the 14th was a memorial day, a day of remembering. And we say, is it really possible that they could forget the ten plagues? Could they really forget the plundering of the Egyptians? Could they really forget the grace and the mercy of God that triumphed over the judgment of God? In chapter 13, verse 3, Moses says, remember this day in which you came out of slavery. Did they really run the risk of forgetting that they were slaves and that God had brought them out with a strong hand of redemption? I mean, isn't the redundancy and the repetition a little over the top? My son Liam is potty training. He's eight. Actually, he's three. I was joking. Actually, he's two, but he looks three. And we're a little behind on the potty training. Because about six months ago, I explained to Liam that it was time uh, to potty train. And when he heard the news, I mean, he lost it. He cried. He screamed. He yelled at me passionately, don't want to potty on the train. (laughs) And his favorite toy continues to this day to be his train. Little wooden tracks, the magnetic train. No potty on the train. Why would I ever want to potty on the train? Okay, so... We laid that to bed for a while. Now, months later, we're trying again. This is our strategy. Don't, don't be a, uh, a backyard neighbor to us, okay? He, he just goes out in the grass, okay? When we're home, I've seen a lot of you moms and dads do this. Don't act like we're the only ones. <laughs> he, he doesn't wear pants. He doesn't wear a diaper. We set the timer on the microwave for 10 minutes, and, and we explain when the timer goes off. He, he, he needs to go outside, and he gets to potty in the yard, and then he gets candy. And it's a sweet, sweet deal, all right? So anytime any bell or whistle, that boy runs to the door, okay? So the timer goes off. When the reminder goes off, let me just tell you, if you're babysitting Liam, you better get to the door and get there quick. Like Pavlov's dogs or like that, that rat in the psych lab. I mean, when he hears the timer, he shivers and quivers and he crosses his legs and he runs to the door. I mean, he is going to pee. It's going to happen. And here's the question. Would he remember himself to go outside every 10 to 15 minutes without us setting the timer and the timer beeping, reminding him? No. Not a chance. He has marked every seat in our family room as his territory as we waited for him to remember. But if you set the timer to go off in the future and you remind him to go outside, and if he hears the timer and obeys the reminder, he does fine. If you forget to set the timer, if he chooses to ignore the timer in arrogance and pride, there's an accident that is inevitable in the near future. So why did God command these ordinances that reminded them to remember? Because God knew that the Israelites would not remember redemption on their own. And he knew that Israelites, as fallen, sinful, prideful people, were prone to forget. The command to remember actually assumes that we're going to forget and need a reminder. The word remember is member with the prefix re in front of it. Remember. To remember means that at one point a truth was held together in one's mind but, but had been forgotten or had fallen apart. So the fact that God commanded a day of remembrance assumes that the people would in fact forget and that they would need to get together and place together the pieces again and remember the past. 
If they didn't need it, God would not have commanded it. And you say, Ted, don't you think it's going just a little too far to think of the Israelites as being on the same level as a two-year-old potty training? No. Because I know me, and I know how the story goes. Exodus is written to the second generation. That is, the people that were young when they left Egypt or were born in the wilderness. It's written 40 years later after the people wandered around for 40 years. If you continue to read in Exodus 13, if you read through the book of Numbers to the book of Joshua, you're going to find that the Exodus generation, the first generation, the men and women who experienced the Passover, the ones who celebrated the original Passover, listen, they kept the Passover right one year later then they never kept it again. They're described as a stubborn and stiff-necked people who die in the wilderness. Psalm 78, a relevant psalm for our discussion this morning, is being written generations later after the exodus to the people in the land. And in the psalm, the psalmist is begging the Israelites to tell their children. Verse 4, tell them the glorious deeds of the Lord and the wonders he has done. Verse 7, if you tell them, they will set their hope in God. They will not forget the works of God, but they will keep his commandments. And verse 8, they will not be like their forefathers who died in the wilderness. And then the psalmist continues, and, and, and he says that the Exodus generation rebelled for this reason. Verse 11, they forgot his works, and the wonders he had shown them. Then he recounts these works for like 30 verses, all that they forgot, all the saving works of God bringing them out of Egypt through the wilderness, and at this point, into the land. And and then verse 40, he writes, the Israelites rebelled and grieved God in the desert. They tested God and provoked him again and again. Verse 22, they did not remember his power. They did not remember the day when he redeemed them from the foe. Let's put it together. As God was actually delivering them, he gave them ordinances for remembering the deliverance in the future. They did not keep the ordinances. They did not remember on their own because they did not keep them and because they did not remember what God had done. They rebelled against God and they died in the wilderness. And now Moses is writing Exodus 12 and 13 to the second generation, and they're about to enter the land, and through redundancy and repetition, he is begging them, please observe the statutes and keep the services. In the future, regularly stop and remember what God has done in the past. You won't remember on your own. And if you ignore the reminder to stop and remember, you will wander from the Lord. And if you wander from the Lord, you will become hard. And if you become hard, you'll be enslaved to sin. Hard-heartedness in the Bible is stubbornness. It's the opposite of faithfulness. The Pharaoh of Exodus was the biblical poster child for hard-heartedness. Jesus said, you can define hard-heartedness this way. It's forgetting what God has done in the past. Said better, hard-heartedness is forgetting uh, in this particular way. It's not stopping and reflecting on what God has done in the past and allowing what God did in the past to impact my life here and now. That's hard-heartedness. I'm going to talk in a moment briefly about how we remember. At this point in redemptive history, what does remembering look like for us? But I just simply at this point want to make the point that we too need to be commanded to stop and remember the gospel. The New Testament teaches that we too are prone to forgetfulness. We're prone to forget God's saving acts 
in the past, that we too, in humility, would be wise to consider ourselves like two-year-olds, potty training. In fact, think about it. When Jesus transformed the Passover rite into the Lord's Supper at the Last Supper, what did he say to his disciples? Command, do this in remembrance of me. First Corinthians 11, Paul says that this is what we're remembering, that when we take communion, we are remembering and proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus' assumption in giving us communion is that we will forget and we will need to remember. We'll forget he died for us. We'll think we have to die for our own sins. We'll forget that he purchased us with his blood and we'll think that we're our own and we can do whatever we please. We'll forget that the Father loves us and we will live our lives trying to earn his delight. Listen to Hebrews 3. New Testament followers of Jesus. After talking about the Exodus generation that died in the wilderness, the author writes this, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any in you of an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day, as long as you call it today. Therefore, none of your hearts may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So when building a theology on remembering, why? Why does God have to command his people and command us to set aside time in the future to remember the past? Because we're prone to forgetfulness. Because in this fallen state, what we know today will fall apart tonight. And if we do not regularly remember what is true, we'll become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So let's talk about how do we remember? At this point in God's story, how do we remember? I, I used a lot of our time on point one. Point one was much longer than the next two points. And the reason I used a lot of time there is because I wanted to talk about, uh, about why. Before I could talk about how, I had to sort of motivate us with the importance of why, because the how is going to sound really mundane and unimportant. Don't miss church. Read your Bible every day. Proactively pursue and live in gospel community. Do uh, whatever you can to be here on the fourth Sunday of the month when we celebrate communion. If you don't see these mundane, ordinary disciplines as the crucial work of remembering, then we run the risk of falling apart quickly. This is, these are three biblical principles on how we remember. We remember proactively, we remember reactively, and we remember interactively. First, we remember proactively. This is the main point of our text. Plan your days, your weeks, and your months around remembering. Apostle Paul teaches in Colossians and other places that we do not celebrate, we do not keep in the same way these days and these weeks and these holidays and these feasts as the Old Testament. But that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't teach the principle of humbly planning your future around the need to remember. First, plan your day around remembering. From the Torah to the Psalms to the Proverbs to the life of Jesus, we see that a wise person reads and chews on God's word and rehearses the gospel every day. I don't know about you guys, but for me, like when I go to sleep, it's like somebody gets in my brain and they find the gospel file and they delete it. And I wake up the next morning and, and, and I have to get back into the word 
and rediscover and remember the gospel for that day, or I will walk out into the world like an orphan who has no resources at all. But 30, 20, 10, 15, an hour, minutes in the gospel, and I I walk out into the world like the well-resourced, beloved son of God, uh, child of God that I am. Plan your day around remembering. Secondly, plan your week and plan your travel and plan your to-do list around public worship on Sunday. One of the top ten that's lived out and fulfilled in Jesus' life is this. Remember the Sabbath. Remember, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Moses, in one instance of talking about the Ten Commandments, says, remember that God created you. In the next instance, in repeating the Ten Commandments, he says, remember that he redeemed you from slavery. Remember the Sabbath. Hebrews 10. You're like, that's Old Testament. I don't like that. Hebrews 10. Do not neglect to meet together as some are in the habit of doing. Meet together is the word synagogue. Do not neglect synagoguing. Do not neglect weekly worship. I think we miss it here. I am very concerned by how flippantly we miss worship with each other. My relative has that condo, and so I'll just go if nobody else is using it. If I head out of town on Sunday, I can get a head start on Monday's business. We're going to travel yet again before we get married, and we have no kids, and so this is the time to do it. We won't be able to do it later. The kids are gone. Now is the time to travel. I'll pick up these extra shifts, and I'll make a little more money. We all, I understand that we all need to miss worship every now and then, but but acting like we're not missing much when we miss worship is acting like we're not susceptible to forgetting. That we don't need weekly remembering. I think it, again, we all need to miss some, but when we miss too much, it's arrogance, and it's folly, and it's self-sufficiency. And I don't care how old we are. Third, plan your months around remembering. I don't know how to say this well, but in our monthly annual planning, we have to proactively and humbly and sacrificially mark down time for resting and remembering. Okay, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a week If you read the rest of Exodus and if you read um, the story in the Old Testament, you will find that a lot of people were willing to do the whole Passover thing on the 14th. They were willing to do the Holy Assembly on the 14th and the 21st. But what they weren't willing to do is give the entire week of not working and not eating tasty bread. That was just too much. And the Bible says there's something about us that in order to really remember the gospel on a regular basis, we actually have to get away and take some time and do it. Well, and I want to be really careful here. There is no set week that that we take off as New Testament Christians. But if you actually look at the rhythm of Jesus' life, you will see him getting away for retreats repeatedly. Okay, so the apostles, they return to Jesus after a successful and busy season of ministry. And Jesus says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. But it wasn't simply rest He also had remembering in mind. Luke says this is what he taught them. Don't rejoice in the power that you have over evil spirits, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Remember that God set in motion his plan to save you before you were ever born. Remember that. Don't remember 
your success. I'll just give you an example. This is only for example purposes. I'm just going to tell you quickly how, how Trisha and I do this. About eight times a year, we get away for a 36-hour retreat on my dime and on my time off, and we do it as a couple. It is expensive in so many ways, but we think it's crucial. We think the opposite is more expensive than what it costs us. I will tell you whatever you want to know about those retreats, how we do them, what we've learned doing them, uh, what we focus on in those times. Um, But I, I will say this, that whatever you want later, we can talk about it. But I'll tell you our goal. Our goal in getting away is not to spend a bunch of money on creating another memory, but investing the resources we have on remembering. Secondly, Not only does the Bible teach us to remember proactively, the Bible teaches us to remember reactively, okay? The more you proactively remember, by the way, the better equipped you will be to reactively remember. This is what I mean by reactive uh, remembering, recounting God's mighty deeds of the past when you're going through a trial. Again, our call to worship, Psalm 77, it was an example this morning of reactive remembering, In Mark chapter 8, you can read the story of the disciples, and they're with Jesus, and they're at a point in time where they didn't have enough bread, and they were obsessing over their lack of bread, and listen to Jesus' words to them. Why do you keep discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you not remember When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 people, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000 people, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up then? And they said, seven. Jesus, he's inviting them to react to the hardship of not having enough bread, to react to that with the faithful provision of God in the past. He's saying hard-heartedness is not letting the past impact the present. He's saying, grab a hold of what I've done in the past and what I've promised about the future, and that is the reality of today. I have friends. They will conclude every day by writing down all the ways that God has been faithful to them in that day, big and small. It takes a couple of minutes. When they hit hard times, they will find themselves disoriented and in pain. And they have this discipline, this reactive remembering of getting out that journal and pummeling their hearts with the past faithfulness of God. Third, the Bible stresses the great importance of remembering interactively. This is what I mean. It is arrogance for any of us to think that we can make it to the end without community. I'll just repeat Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen to this. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed We hold our original confidence firm to the end. Listen to what the Bible says we have a daily need of, this kind of gospel community. All we're trying to do is make it to the end. 
And if we make it to the end with our confidence and our faith in Jesus, we've arrived. But the text is telling us that to keep our confidence in Jesus, we will have to continually remember what he's done for us. But in order to remember what he's done for us, we will need each other daily. So how? That's how. How do we, in our day, in our point in God's story, how do we remember? We remember proactively. We plan our days and our weeks and our months in humility, knowing that we will forget and we will need to piece it together. We remember reactively. We react to trials by by recounting God's faithfulness in the past. We remember interactively, living as though we know that we cannot make it through on our own. All right? So literally a few sentences on who we remember. If we're not careful, we will make our remembering a work in and of itself. We, we will make our remembering a way to become righteous before God instead of remembering that through Jesus we already are righteous before God. Listen to this. The one we remember. We remember Jesus proactively, reactively, and interact, interactively. He is the one who died in our place for our lack of remembrance. And when he died for our sins, for our lack of remembrance, um, he dealt with our sin so fully that Hebrews says that our sins will never be remembered in heaven again. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sin from us. The one that we remember is the one who remembered perfectly in his life, but he was forgotten on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken literally means to leave behind and forget. The one who should have always been remembered was forgotten for three days so that we can be remembered and cherished forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that even in this, the remembering of redemption, that even in this, we have our righteousness in you. We thank you that you as a boy were circumcised at the right time. You as a boy loved to be in the temple to learn about redemption, that that you loved and studied the word, that you saturated yourself uh, humbly in community. We thank you that you lived even the life of remembrance for us. And we thank you that you died for our arrogance and our folly and our self-sufficiency. Would you please forgive us for not remembering? Would you please forgive us for being so arrogant to think we don't need to be reminded? Would you please forgive us for making a work out of our remembrance? We need you in so many ways. Jesus, I continue to pray this morning that you will, by your spirit and through your word and in community and by this teaching, that you will make us a people who read your Bible more that you will make us a people who value community no matter what uh, inconvenience it is to us, that you will make us a a people that that schedule our lives around remembering uh, your gospel on Sunday mornings together. We, We pray that you would do this powerful work in us. We are reminded that you said in John 14 that you would give us your Holy Spirit and that your Holy Spirit would help us to remember. We pray that you would do that. In your name we pray, amen.